Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. So back when I was in elementary school, uh, back in those days when Valentine's Day came around, we participated in one of my most favorite things, my most favorite memories of all that school-age time. It was the time at Valentine's we got to decorate our Valentine's mailbox. Valentine's mailbox. Maybe you guys remember this. Uh, some still do it. It's kind, of a, it's kind of becoming a dying tradition. So let me just explain it, because I'm going to take us down a trip down memory lane if you remember. And for those who haven't, they're like, oh, why don't we do that, teacher? It's awesome, right? So we would take old shoe boxes, and then we would decorate them, and we got to flex a little bit during this time and put on, like, show kind of who we are a little bit. We'd take these shoe boxes, we'd cut a hole in the top, and then we would decorate with hearts, and I would put, like, Star Wars guys on mine or whatever. And this was a time to kind of create your branding, if you will. This is like our version of social media in the 80s, right? And so we'd put together our shoe box, and then the really talented ones would make like, like little like animals and stuff come out of theirs, or they would turn it like into a mailbox, and obviously their mom or dad's an engineer or something, right? Because I didn't do that. I just put, like, I cut out hearts. I'm like, happy Valentine's, be mine, right? And then like, here's Luke Skywalker. That was mine. Uh, but we'd make these, and then so you'd put them then into your classroom, and the buildup was that at the end of the week or on Valentine's Day, kind of depending how your class did it, there was a big Valentine's Day party. And so throughout the week, you would put your Valentines into the mailboxes of your classmates. And so uh, the class, the, the Valentines we would do, first of all, there's a major rule. Everybody had to get one, right? Remember that? Everyone had to get one. And two, if you put a sucker or candy on it, you're like class, like instant class president. Because if you put candy on it, you're super awesome. But if we remember back then, like they have them now. They're like minions and stuff. They're not as cool. Back then, you'd see one like this. Here's a strawberry shortcake one. Check out this one. Remember this guy? <laughs> Valentine, you're the tops. Like it's super cheesy. And, and that message, Valentine's, you're the tops, was kind of like, I don't think this person likes me very much. Right? But then there were some that were like dad jokes before they were dad jokes. Check out this one. This one, I love this one here. No kitten, Valentine. You're perfect for me. Oh, and every dad joke guy in here is like, yes, that is awesome, right? And so we would get these. And here's a little something that I would do, and I think you did too. We attempted to find if there's a special meaning behind one from that person that you liked. Like if you got one like that was G.I. Joe, like, hey, you're good at conquering people. You're like, that's not fun, right? Or if you got the one, you're the tops, like, that's not a good one. You're looking for that really special, it's like, Valentine, you have my heart. <laughs> Valentine, be mine, please. Like those kind of like, like you're trying to find, is there some special meaning behind that, that kid that you'd like? And so you'd sit down at Valentine's party, uh, you'd sit down and start opening your cards and like, okay, I don't like John. You're like, just like toss to the ones and you're looking like, ooh, this one is from Amy. This one is from Brian. And you'd open it, and you're looking for that special meaning, hoping that you would get that kind of special message, and you look over and kind of give away. Remember, the, I mean, come on, like sixth grade love. We loved it back then, and it was such a special time because this is really like the first time in our, we're kind of processing a little bit at that age. Like, what is this all about? 
What is this love thing all about? And our Valentines were like this like quick way of maybe saying, ooh, she does like me. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're a fifth grader with a boyfriend or girlfriend for two days and you break up, right? But we were looking for something that somebody cared about us. Even in Valentines at a young age, we look for some sort of meaning behind it. And from that time on, even before that, like these words of love and this concept of love is so ridiculously confusing. It's confusing for a lot of reasons. It's confusing because it comes from different avenues, from different people with different relationships with us. So when you were young and your mom or dad says, I love you, it meant something different even than when your uncle said or aunt said, I love you. And then that special time when you hear someone outside of your family say, I love you, and then it kind of moves on. These relationships, the words I love you, means this connectedness. We're like, what does this really mean, my connection to you? And what does this mean for us? And then the wheels fall off. The wheels fall off in love because I love you, at some point in our journey, became frustrating, hurtful, confusing, painful, abusive. Hard. Am, I, am I resonating with you right now? Hard. I don't want it. Love now became synonymous with pain. And sometime along our journey, we start to say, well, what is this thing? In one sense, I get warm, squishy feelings. In this other sense, somebody said that, and then they hurt me deeply from this word. What is it? What is this love thing? And then back in the day, as I grew a little bit, we started to write love letters in class. Now, people have been writing love letters since we've been writing on things, but in my day and time, love letters were written during class because you didn't want to pay attention to the teacher, and you'd write your love letter to your friend, boyfriend or girlfriend, and then you'd wrap it up into a little square or into a little, like, the football kick thing, right? And we'd put it sealed with a kiss on it, and we'd take these love letters and we'd pass them real quietly during class. Don't listen if you're younger. We'd pass it real quietly during class to get to your boyfriend or girlfriend, and they'd all be really quiet, and you always prayed, you know, that you prayed your teacher did not find it because that teacher, if he or she was mean, say, why are you guys passing? Let's read it for the whole class. And then you're done, right? You are done. And so you'd pass these love letters, and we would use such big, extravagant words, but we didn't know what we were saying. And really, if we're kind of honest, we don't even know what we're saying now sometimes. Because there's relationships that say, I love you, because they have to, but they're meaningless. There are relationships that say, I love you, but at the same time are abusing people. There's relationships where love is used and then shown. It's healthy. It's vibrant. It's growing. It's a love that is deep-seated, and it's sacrificial. And so we've been working through this, and right now, everybody in this room, is you're thinking through your journey, I know. And every one of your journeys are completely different, which means our concept of love is so and very different. It's so vital for us as Christians, vital. It's not even like an option to grasp the idea of love and to live it because the whole purpose of us and the whole purpose of our relationship with God is centered around the concept of love that has a clear definition. But his type of love is one that we're supposed to be embracing and then radiating out into the world for others. And his concept of love has nothing to do with what we feel. It's actually how we live 
and who we are. How we feel changes day by day. We base our love on how we feel. I love you today. I don't like you tomorrow. I love tacos. I don't love Brussels sprouts. Love is this fleeting thing. It moves day to day. And love in our general terminology is based on the concept of how do I feel about that person. What if love, if we change our definition, love is something that's given to God to his children that we hand out free to everybody with nothing expected in return. Because in our terminology, I'll love you if you love me back. You give, I give. Like, I, this is an exchange. I'll make you feel good if you make me feel good. And as soon as that stops, I'm going to stop making you feel good. I'm going to stop giving you warm fuzzies because you are not giving it to me. But when we look inside the scriptures, that is not what love is. Love is actually something so much bigger, so much more robust, so much more eternal than simply how we feel, especially during Valentine's Day. So let's get into it today. We're going to get into 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 13. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 13 in your Bibles or Bible apps. It'll be on the screen behind me. Very, very famous passage that regardless of your spiritual journey, you've heard this somewhere probably at a wedding. Now, I want to burst every single one of your bubbles. It has nothing to do with weddings. We like this verse. We use it at weddings. Uh, can it be uh, applied? Sure. That's not the context of the scripture. This passage actually is a deep passage to believers, to us, or those who are saying, I follow Jesus, as to actually our actions and how we're supposed to live. It's nothing to do with squishy feelings of relationship. It has to do with how we behave and how we act and what we own and who we become because we have the Spirit of God in us. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 13 says this, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of all of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be still. Where there's knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know in part and what, what we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now I see only reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So we begin the exploration of this passage. This is so deep and so rich. This passage alone is like a 10-piece sermon series, and so that's why I'm going to preach two hours today. And so this fantastic passage is so rich. It says so many things, 
We're going to start with the end of the passage, the landing to actually understand the beginning. It's this, simply this, verse 13. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Hobby Lobby has made a lot of money off of this sign. This is in every Hobby Lobby across America and probably half your homes. Put up in your homes, the greatest of these love, for you made faith, hope, love, right? Eat, love, pray. Like we have all these little sayings that we want to go by. The greatest of these is love. And we, have you ever stopped to wonder why? Why is love greater than everything that was just said in this passage? Because in my concept, wouldn't faith be the greatest? Faith is the idea that I'm going to believe open my hands, and my faith in Jesus Christ, that there's something that is a God who saved me, and I'm believing that God who saved me. So if I do not have faith in God, I can't love others. So I need my faith to be able to love. Well, let's talk about hope. Hope is in something that's coming in the future, and my hope right now is that God is going to save us, that there's a God who loves me. My faith and my hope tie together in that what I'm doing on this earth today matters tomorrow. And my faith and my hope together, those two create in me a new creation in which God has saved me and so that I can love. Because I don't know how to love this God love. I don't know how to do it. So faith and hope are greater because faith plus hope equals love. That's what I would believe. But that's not what the passage says. Passage says that love is greatest of all these. And it's actually a very, very simple breakdown when we think of this. Bill Witherington III says it best. says this. It is now in this age that faith, hope, and love are the three great qualities or attributes of the Christian. But love is the greatest because it alone never fails and will, in fact, carry on into the next life. Faith will become sight and hope will be fulfilled but love will simply carry on, presumably amplified and purified into a perfect condition. It is the one attribute that is the bridge this age and the eschatological reality. We have to understand that faith and hope are for now. Think about it. Do you have to have faith in Jesus Christ when you're standing looking at him face, face to face? Like you're going to see him face to face. Like, I still hope you're real. Like he's right there. He's right there. Like, uh, hey, Jason, like, hey, Jesus, like, I still hope that you're here. Like, faith is completed. The book has closed. Our faith is for this current age and hope. Hope is for this current age because, like, Jesus, I hope that you died for me and saved me. It's done. So it's a chapter that closes. But God's love is something that is the thing that's intertwined that doesn't end. It's the thing that goes with us into eternity. And I love how he puts it because I, I think this way too. What we're seeing, we're going to hear from, from uh, the Paul who wrote this, is that what we're seeing is like a reflection or an echo of love, which means it's messy and it doesn't make sense. We're seeing it like through like amplified or non-amplified waves. It doesn't make sense. We're kind of seeing what it looks like and sin has completely messed it up. But when we get to heaven, real love for the first time in your existence, you are going to experience what a God of love in his presence is going to feel like. I don't care about heaven in terms of what I get, what gifts I get, where I'm living, do I have a big house, do I, all that stuff. Like we, I don't care about that stuff. What I care about more than anything in my life is that in heaven for the first time in my life, 
I'm going to be truly loved. Whoa, slow down. You don't know the relationships that I've been through. I've truly loved and I've loved others. I've been in love, right? I loved Amy so much that when she gave me that Valentine and dated two days, that was like the greatest love I've ever experienced. But wait, 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 wait. You don't understand. I've got a great marriage. We've been working hard. We've been married for 40 years, and our love for each other has only grown stronger year after year after year. I hear you. It's still not it. Because we are still broken, messy people, and we're just seeing like a dim reflection of what love is. And so the Spirit is transforming us to learn how to love, and we get better at it, and we go deeper. The closer we walk with Jesus, the more we can amplify God's type of love. But the truth is, we have no idea what you're about to experience in heaven. No idea. Love for the first time is going to be revealed for you when you look at Jesus face to face. I love my personal favorite uh, picture that I've seen. Maybe you guys have seen this one before. It's a picture of Jesus, and it's a girl who like jumps in his arms and is like, like screaming, crying, happy. You've ever seen that one before? Like a smile on her face. And the reason why I love that picture so deeply is that it's, she's lo- I see her being loved for the first time. Because our love comes with a lot of pain. There are so many of you that are in pain here today. So many that are in pain right now at this moment because of love. And this whole statement, it's better to love, the, love to and lost to have never loved before. It's true in a sense, but in a lot of ways, our concept of love that we say loved and lost, it isn't God's love because you can't lose something you've given somebody freely. God's love gives freely. Our love has strings attached. And so the pain that we may feel, either through a relationship now, relationship in the past, um, love of a parent, love of a friend, betrayed by coworkers, whatever that was, the pain that's attached to that makes us always step back and be very guarded, very guarded to open ourselves, very guarded to love people because people hurt people. And because we've been hurt, we now have a very soft, sensitive skin that says, I don't want to be hurt again, so I withhold my love and I keep it back. And I'll maybe give it out if you check all the boxes for me, then maybe I'll give it out. But that's not God's love. God's love, the love that we have, is so much greater than these small things. Because the love that we do now, when we live through this passage and start to amplify God's love, it's given freely out to all with nothing expected in return. We now give. And we give because God loves us, and so we love others. He fills us, and we fill others. If there's one thing that we're learning, friends, in this world, is that we are not in a short, uh, short demand of true, actual love. Every single one of us, every single human, would want to be loved more than what they are today. Known, cared for, but we aren't. We aren't because we're so messed up. And we as Christians are so messed up because we're supposed to be amplifying God's love into the world. And what we have been doing and tend to do is we amplify our version of love into the world. And that's causing so much confusion. Love is the key to your faith journey. There's no way you can follow Jesus and say, ah, I love Jesus, but I hate everybody. Like, you can't do that. 
You can't say you love the master. I follow the master. Oh, yeah, I love him. And then go and be an absolute nightmare of a neighbor, spraying kids in the face with your hose if they ride on your lawn. I kind of want to do that, though. I think it'd be funny. <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? You can't be that grumpy old man, angry at the world, cut off, I don't like anybody, it's my life or no life, everything's about me. You can't do that if you say you love Jesus Christ because God is love, therefore we are the speaker of him into the world. But this is why we get so broken and hurt. It's because people have said they loved us and broken our hearts. And we found out that relationships hurt, we found out that people hurt. We've learned from a very young age that this whole giving away of myself and being open it actually just rips my heart apart and stomps it on the floor. I can't tell you how many times that's happened to me. I can't tell you. I can't even. I was processing my sermon, and I was thinking through how many times have I been hurt by somebody who said they loved me. I can't even count it anymore. It's infinite. I don't even know. And there's two options that happen in your life when that happens. Either you get your heart cold and shut off from everybody, or you dig deeper into love, and you love more deeply. There's really no in-between, because you can't kind of sit in the middle, either like, I'm not doing this anymore, or like, that was that story, I need to love like God loves. And so when we think about love, what I'm talking about here isn't even possible. It isn't possible, because this type of love that we're talking about isn't a human type of love. This is a God-given gift that comes from his spirit transforming us that we can then love out deeply into the world. Worthington uh, III says this again, a uh, different part of his, of his book, says this, the setting of chapter 13 makes evident that Paul is not talking about natural human love, but a sort of love that a human being can only express and share when he or she has been touched by God's grace and enabled by God's spirit. It goes quite against all natural human inclinations to love the unlovely or those who do not love in return. Notice that this type of love that we're going to dig into in chapter 13 isn't about one where you get the squishy feelings back. This is one where you're an advocate, you are a disciple, and you are one of God's children who's on mission to blast love into a loveless place. Let's listen back into this first part of the passage, 1 Corinthians 13 again. Listen to this, 1 to 3. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. This is why this passage isn't about weddings. This is written to the church community about how we're supposed to love each other and love the world. Now, again, yes, you can apply it at weddings because you should have this type of love in your marriage. But truthfully, this is written to a church family in a church community. You could write this first mosaic, 13.1, right? He's writing to a church family. And this is what he's saying to this church family. Hey, guys, I want you to hear this very, very clearly. You need to love and all of your spiritual gifts and everything you're doing for God and all of your mission work and all of his giftings and everything you're doing that you think that you're doing to please God. I love everything that's going on, but if you don't do it in love, it's worth nothing. It's not the currency of heaven. 
The currency of heaven is love. So everything that you're doing, if you're not doing this out of love, is nothing. It, it's, it's worthless. You're gaining nothing. And this is so fascinating because Jesus tells us that we are supposed to live our lives for kingdom-mindedness. So he says, do not store for yourself treasures on earth. Things rust and things blow up and get back, right? My, my variation. But we're supposed to store for ourselves treasures in heaven, which means we live for the kingdom. And he's saying, if you're living and doing things for the kingdom, but if you're not doing it because of love, you get nothing. It's worthless. Oh, yeah, I went on a mission trip with my stupid church family, and we went, we served the poor, and I did stuff, and I don't know. I just put on Instagram so people liked my pictures. You get nothing. If you are obligated to love people, you have to do it, but you're not doing it. I'm not really loving. I'm just going through the motions. You get nothing. If you have the ability to have all these beautiful spiritual gifts that he talks about, you're able to prophesy and speak in tongues. You have all this knowledge. You have all this wisdom. You have more faith than any human being ever because Jesus said, faith of a mustard seed will move a mountain. No human has done it, which means we don't have that much faith, right? You could move a mountain. And this person has more faith than any human ever created other than Jesus. So you have the, the best abilities. And if you don't move that mountain in love, you get nothing. That's what he's saying to us today. All of this stuff, all of our faith journey, all of these things, we're trying so hard. But if you take love out of the factor, hear this now. It's not pleasing to God. God looks for love because God loves us and we now love others. Going through the motions because you have to, according to this word, you get nothing. When done in love, serving God, being with God, loving others, serving others because your relationship with him, you are filled through the spirit and you reflect this out into the world. Everything that you do for the kingdom through love lasts forever now, but it has to be through love. Well, this is confusing because our concept of love is so messed up. It's really hard to love people you don't like. It, I'm sorry, is that just me? It's really hard to love people who have ripped your heart out, stomped it on the floor, spit on it, and said, give me more of your heart so I can do it again. That's hard, hard, hard. It is hard to love that person in your life that's messy, who seems like a drain on your life, who's calling you, texting you, needing from you, that maybe that coworker or that friend, you're like, oh, I just don't have any more to give. It is so hard to do this. But you have to if you love Jesus. Because on our faith journey, if I'm a disciple of Jesus, I represent him now in the year 2024. So now I'm his hands and feet is our Christian term of it. I'm now the guy who's here and I'm supposed to be pressing the message forward. And you are the guys and gals who are on mission to make this message go forward. But if we are not loving people, if we're not loving open-handedly, it's going nowhere. In fact, we gain nothing. Listen to this passage again. Listen to what he's saying. I can use heavenly words and have spiritual gifts of speaking in tongues. I can have a spiritual gift. Now, the spiritual gifts come from God, mind you. These are God's gifts to us. I can have the spiritual gifts of prophesying. 
I can have unmatched wisdom, be the smartest guy in the room, most knowledge about Bible. I can know the things of God. I can have theology and be the best preacher in the world. I can have the faith that Jesus said. I can make literal mountains move because of my faith, not in myself, but of my God. I can do that. I can give all I have to the poor. I can blend these all together and do all of these things. I'm a superman of spirituality. No one can beat this list. And if I don't do it in love, I'm worth nothing. Everything I did is worth nothing. Because if I don't do it in love, I've done it for myself. Think about that for a second. If I do not do it in love, I've done it for myself. How many times have you done something in love because you wanted something back? Oh, yeah, I'll do that as long as I get something back. Because love is sacrificial. It gives without being able to look for some sort of return. It goes one way. Now, do we want love back? Of course we do. We're humans. And this is where love gets so messy because we are created for the need to be loved. We desire it with our whole heart. We want love so badly that we will do almost anything to get someone to say they love us because the whole left by sin, the whole left by sin created a crater. And God is saying, let me fill that hole because no one's going to fill it. And as humans, we're finding things to fill it. Again, this is the reflection in the mirror. We don't quite get it yet, and we won't until we see him face to face. When we are face to face, love will be complete. Love now makes sense. And you're going to say, I can't believe I ever wanted that other cheap imitation. All I want is you. And the beauty of our faith journey, friends, is you can experience it now. Now, it's not going to be the same. Because when we see him face to face, that's when it makes sense, right? We're in the mirror. But we can experience God's love now by loving and digging more into him. But if we're honest, we're distracted by a million other things in life, a million other loves that are like the cheap microwave version of love the cheap imitation, because, well, that fills me for now, kind of, and it leaves us wanting more. But God's love never leaves us wanting more. Moving on into our passage, what is it? What is this enduring love? What does it look like to be a person who loves? And what, if we're honest, should we expect from somebody who says that they love us in a God-type love? 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7 says this, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. This list is impossible. It's impossible. It says the word always. I don't always trust. I don't always hope. I don't always persevere. I'm not always patient. I'm not always kind. I envy sometimes. I'm proudful. I dishonor people. I'm self-seeking. Why, why would you give us an impossible list? Why? I mean, Paul, nice, nice speech. It's impossible. And the point why this is impossible, it's showing you what God's love is because it is impossible for you but not through the Spirit of God in you and through you. In fact, the deeper you go into your relationship with Jesus, this is the love that starts radiating out of you. Your love and you become patient. Your love and you become kind. 
Angry Jason sitting on the lawn spraying kids with a hose. That's not kind. Love through Jesus, through the gifting of the Spirit, is not envious. It doesn't talk about how great it is. It isn't proud about it. It's humble. It's quiet. It's just giving freely. Love from Jesus looks completely different because it's not angry right away. It's not keeping a record of everything that happened. It's not saying, like, ah, that's evil, but it's okay, no big deal. Love doesn't like it. God's love is not excited about anything that's outside of God because God's love does not delight in evil. It hates evil so much so that his son had to die for us to fix our problem of evil. What it does love is truth. It's protection of others, it's trust and hope, and it perseveres. For me, the word persevere is important in love because perseverance is something, if I could say, our community, our culture has given up on is perseverance. Love of a church family. You think about a church family and things that you go through as a church and a church family and in our day and age, like, oh, I don't like that church because so-and-so wore jeans when he preached. I'm out of there. That's not persevering. That's just consumerism. Perseverance is the fact that I am with a family through thick and thin. Perseverance in your marriage says no matter what is happening, if I love like God, I'm going to keep fighting for perseverance to become what, even just echo what God's love looks like, even though this whole thing, I don't quite understand it. Perseverance is something that we are not accustomed to anymore because perseverance hurts. It may mean that you are going to be crushed. But if you look at Jesus' ministry, he was crushed. Why would we expect anything else? And if you look at this list and we start to look at Jesus and his ministry, when you read through the book of John, Mark, Luke, and you start to see how he acted, this is how he acted. This is how he responded to people. He was showing us and was a living example of love. And now Paul just writes down the attributes of Jesus. Jesus is patient. He is kind. He is not envious. He doesn't boast. He's not proud. He doesn't dishonor others. You get where I'm going with this. It's just him. And so we are now the amplifier of this love into the world because this is the perfect picture of love, and God is love. Man. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what it would feel like? Because none of us have experienced this. Imagine what this list felt like if it happened to you. And maybe your spouse or your friend gives you some of these, but not to the fullest extent. Maybe a friend or spouse, coworker, neighbor, gives maybe portions, but there's always things lacking. Now imagine what happens if you start to amplify this into people's lives. You start making this list a priority and you start amplifying love out, expecting nothing in return. This whole list is about being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. So if I can do this well, do you think people are going to start saying, I hate Christians because they're, they're so hypocritical? I won't go to church, they're hypocrites, you know, which is the number one saying, if you don't know. Instead, they'll say, what's your deal, and how do I get more of that? Because everybody wants this love. The question is, who's giving it out? Let's keep going on in our passage, verse 8. Love never fails. 
But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they'll be stilled. Where there's knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of my childhood behind me. For now I see only reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. All of this list that it started with now comes back to say this. All of these spiritual things, they're all going to stop. All of this lack of love is going to stop. All of these things for our day and age, this is going to come to an end. The end of the chapter is going to come for all of these spiritual gifts, all of these things in which God has given us here on earth. All of our spiritual practices, all of our quote-unquote religion, if you will, turning on your spiritual journey, how you call it, all of this ends when we get to heaven. Because now it's in part, but then it was whole. And so when it goes to when it is whole, the only thing that's going to matter is love. All that's going to come with us is love. Not your Ford F-150, great truck. It's not coming with you. Not your lake homes. Not your kid's sports schedule. Not your spouse. Not your kids. You and Jesus. Love. How are you loving today? And I know I'm going to be very gentle with this. Because pain has caused a lot of us to grab and hold and shrink in. I hear you, friends. I hear you. I do that too. I have this reaction, this gut reaction from things that have happened in my past. When you hit a certain nerve, I'll recoil and come back. I've been honest about that. Some of the things that have happened in the past of us even planting has made it hard for me to just open myself up to relationships again and new friendships. It's been hard because I've been hurt so bad. So I hear you on this, but we can't stay there. We have to move forward. We have to open our hands up. We need to love because time is short. Either your life or Jesus is coming back. Packers lost. Jesus, you can come back now. We're cool, right? <laughs> Something's going to happen in either course of our life. Either we're going to pass from this earth and you're going to see him or the trumpet sounds and Jesus is coming back and I'm out of here. Like, hey, cool flex. I'm gone. Like, this world has nothing to offer us anymore, right? Something's going to happen, and love is what's going to come with us. How are you loving? All this other stuff is going to go away. Are you giving everything that you can? But it's hard because of the brokenness, because of the sin, because of all the junk we live in. It's hard. It's so hard. But you have an opportunity to reflect it. So I want to go through this list again as you process this verse. And I challenge you, uh, friends, Take this verse, if you're new to Bible reading or, or like working on things, the way that we transform is not by hearing a message, getting our hot hammer rolls and going home. The way that we transform, I use the word marinating, marinate, you take a, a good piece of meat and you marinate in something, you taste the marinade when you cook it, right? We soak in something so that the flavors are part of us. Marinate in this passage this week and marinate in the type of love that you give. Through God's Spirit, are you doing these things? So I'm going to change 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7 to you and ask the question, do you? Is your patient love, or your, is your love patient? And is your love kind? Do you not envy? 
And do you not boast? Are you not proud? Do you not dishonor others? And are you not self-seeking? Are you not easily angered? And do you not keep any records of wrong? Do you not delight in evil, but rejoice with truth? Do you always protect, always trust, always hope, and always persevere? Go back to that very first passage that we talked about in the very, very beginning. We think about what love is and what endures. The greatest of these three, now the three of these remain, faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. Because God is love and God is in us, I think the time is now, the special time is this, to take a week, take time to reflect, are you an amplifier of God's love? Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world. Visit us at mosaicwi.com.